Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com. Now, hear the good news and be not afraid. Good morning. Welcome to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Father P.J., good morning. Good morning, Father. Let us begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty, ever-living God, direct our actions according to your good pleasure, that in the name of your beloved Son we may abound in good works. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever, of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, this is a very interesting uh, program because this weekend is the Word of God celebration in this uh, third uh, Sunday of Ordinary Time. By the way, Father, what is the meaning of the liturgy of the Word into the liturgy of the Holy Eucharist as well? So, you know, th- th- this, this coming Sunday, the third Sunday of Ordinary Time, we're keeping a new observance. I don't even quite know what to call it because it's the only thing that really looks like this on the calendar. But uh, uh, several years ago, uh, Pope Francis instituted this Sunday of the Word of God that he established um, uh, to be uh, uh, to be celebrated on the third Sunday of Ordinary Time. So it's a movable feast. It, it falls whenever the third Sunday of Ordinary Time falls um, as a way of recognizing the role of the Word of God in the wider life of the church. And, um, and of course, the primary way that most of us wind up experiencing the Word of God, in some ways, the natural habitat for the word of God is the liturgy itself. Okay. Um, whether that's the, whether that's the Eucharistic liturgy, the mass or the divine office or any of the other liturgies of the church, because the, the liturgies are themselves both structured around and really derived from the word of God itself. Because people make associations between the homily or sermon with the liturgy of the word as well. Mm-hmm. So they are a component so part of the so part of the reason for kind of our um, cognitive defaults in the United States, this is not a slam or anything. It's just it's just history, right? Um, is that you know we we were founded uh, as a very distinctly Protestant nation, and so most of the cultural representations of church that most of us are familiar with, things like in movies and TV shows and and uh, even literature to a certain degree in English, um, it's all derived from Protestantism. And a kind of Protestantism that, uh, that, that that very much sort of emphasizes the word of God often over and against the sacramental realities of the church. And um, and this just isn't the way that Catholic and Orthodox Christians have historically thought about either the word of God or, or the way that it relates in the life of the church. But even the use of the, the words you just used, Father, the, a sermon versus a homily, you know, um, uh, th- th- these words historically have have basically been uh, sermon is a Protestant talk on the scriptures and cath- and homily is a Catholic or Orthodox talk on the scriptures. Um, th- the words derive from the same kind of origin, not the same word, but, but but the idea is the same. It's about commentary on the scripture. But the difference here is that because Catholic liturgy is inherently Eucharistic, whether the Eucharist is being celebrated right in that moment or not. The role of the homily or the commentary that the preacher gives on the word of God has a different function in Catholic liturgy than it does in most Protestant communities. Like, So the main goal of the homily is not simply to explain what's already been read, 
but to connect what has been read to the lived experience of the faithful that the person is talking to and to prepare them for whatever the subsequent celebration is going to be in the liturgy. So I, I, when I'm teaching preachers, when I'm teaching priests or deacons, this is what I say. Think about it in terms of a wedding. Every wedding you've ever been to, Catholic or Protestant, the sermon or the homily, whatever the preacher says, is the last thing that couple is going to hear before they say the most important words they're ever going to say. Right. So, so, so the homily is in this way, always preparatory in the context of the mass, which is where most of us and our listeners encounter this. It's preparatory to the celebration of the Eucharist, not only Holy communion, but to the celebration of the Eucharist itself, to the Eucharistic prayer. Um, In the celebration of the other sacraments, the very same thing happens when you preach at baptisms, you're preaching right before the baptismal rite begins. Uh, if you preach a little bit when you're anointing somebody, then it's the last thing right before the anointing. Right? So you see how this is kind of set up. And the reason that's important is because these sacraments aren't something over and against or really distinct from the word of God. They're incarnating the word of God right here in this moment. So that when we baptize someone, I baptize you in the name of the father and of the son of the Holy Spirit. The church didn't make those words up. Jesus gave them to us at the end of St. Matthew's gospel. When we celebrate mass, when, when we consecrate the Holy Eucharist, we don't say, take this all of you need of it for this is my body because the church came up with that. It's because the scriptures handed them on to us. And, and the same is true in different, uh, to a different degree with all of the other sacraments, right? And so, okay. so, so the sacraments in important ways sort of make the word of God present and alive in this moment. But in order to encounter the sacraments most effectively, we need to know the word of God really well. And that's the reason the church opens up the treasures of the word of God throughout the lectionary and and throughout all the liturgies of the church. How we can guide our audience to understanding that obviously have a personal personal, uh, presence through the homily from the priest, but at the same time, it's inspirational from the Holy Scriptures mm-hmm. because sometimes people have been expecting some kind of prophetic, mm-hmm. uh, colloquial, or probably social economical context how we are to preach. But at the same time, what is the ideal neutral position from the preacher to deliver an homily? I'm not talking about a good homily, but at least an pastoral homily. So, so both the missal and subsequent instructions that have been given on, on, on the homily, like in the last 40, 50 years are very, very clear. And this, this, this seems like a subtle distinction. It's actually quite important in history. Um, the homily or the sermon has not always been understood as integral to the liturgy itself. So for much of the church's history, the, the sermon or the homily wasn't actually delivered where we would expect it now, immediately after the proclamation of the gospel. It was actually delivered after the mass was over. Um, after mass was over, the priest would have everybody sit down and he'd, and he'd deliver a talk. And those talks were often very long. So when you read the sermons of the fathers, St. John Chrysostom or St. Ambrose or St. Augustine, somebody like this, you look at this and you go, I can't imagine ever saying something like this to a crowd on a Sunday morning. Well, there's a good reason for that. They didn't either in the way that you're imagining it. It certainly wouldn't be done in eight or 10 minutes and and have your mass over in an hour. Correct. It was happening oftentimes after the mass. So after the celebration itself was completed and, and, and the, um, the rhetorical style that they use is very, very different. 
So if you look at somebody like Ambrose or Chrysostom, who are both what we call mystagogical preachers, um, they would look backwards. And so they would say, remember how we read in the scriptures that God saved the people through the sea. Well, then remember how a few minutes later, I took you down into the waters and baptized you. And then you came up out of the waters. That was like when Israel came out of the sea. Okay. So, 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 so it winds up being backward looking. Um, in the reforms after the council, uh, there was a strong emphasis laid on making the homily integral to the, to the liturgy itself because it would enable the faithful to better participate in the rest of the liturgy, to more fully, consciously, and actively participate in the celebration of the Eucharist itself, which means that the homily's main goal needs to be praise. Like the homily should itself be a kind of prayer, not that it's vocatively addressed to God all the time, but that it should be itself sort of recounting the mighty deeds of God in the life of the homilist and of the faithful to whom he's speaking. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio comes from Next Generation Realty, a Catholic and family-owned flat-fee brokerage serving central Iowa since 1994. Next Generation Realty can handle every step of the process of buying or selling a home. Learn more at nextgenerationrealty.com. Support for programming comes from Klein Electric, a local family-oriented electrical contractor, a 100% employee-owned company with branches across the Midwest to provide comprehensive electrical services. Klein Electric is able to help with any residential and commercial project. Learn more at kleinelectric.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio comes from Fitness by Design, your neighborhood fitness studio. Located in Des Moines, offering PH or fitness classes, private and semi-private training, beamer, and massage. Learn more at fitnessbydesigndm.com, 515-770-3844. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop, priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsarah.org, join S-E-R-R-A.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for programming comes from Vitae Family Care, welcoming new patients to their expanded clinic. Doctors Gregory McKernan and Ben Schwab provide personalized health care for the whole family, respecting the dignity of the whole person through every stage of life. Learn more at vitaefamilycare.com. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, Father PJ, how long take it? preparing a homily. Obviously, it's different in a context, no? Daily Mass, Sunday Mass, special celebrations like weddings, baptisms, as you mentioned before the break. But at the same time, how we can alignment with a doctrine of faith, holy scriptures, and also room for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. especially to avoid this social, economical, and... Uh, context around the world that probably it's a little bit far from God's word, from God's commitment as well. So I think the first thing that uh, that someone who doesn't regularly prepare homilies needs to understand about how homilies come to be, or at least how they're supposed to come to be, is, is to think for a minute about the word of God as such. And here we can take um, very strong cues, both from the Second Vatican Council and from several documents immediately preceding it uh, from, from the Holy Fathers in the late 19th, early 20th century. Um, Dei Verbum, which is the council's document on the Bible, 
says this, uh, the word of God is used both to talk about the scriptures and about the person of Jesus himself. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is the word incarnate. And so if we want to understand the word of God written in the scriptures, then we need to understand him first because everything in the book is ultimately pointing to him. Now, uh, our, our, our Jewish friends are going to push back on this. They don't necessarily think that's true because they don't believe in Jesus, which fine. But that's not the position of the Christian church. Never has been. Jesus completes the fullness of God's revelation. He does something. God does something decisive in Jesus that he didn't do with all the rest of it. And therefore, everything that came before Jesus is in some way or other pointing back to Jesus, which means that you shouldn't really have Christian sermons or Christian homilies that don't make any reference to Jesus at all. You might spend a lot of time talking about an Old Testament reading or reflecting on the psalm or something like that, but ultimately this should all be pointing us back to the person of Jesus. What do we know about the person of Jesus? Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Not half God and half man. He's not a hybrid. He's fully God and fully man. Which means that the scriptures, the word of God written down, are both fully and really the word of God, divinely inspired, and the word of man, humanly written. So there's no problem, the church has no problem with flipping through the Bible and recognizing some of these things are written very differently than others. Some of this is poetry, some of this was clearly written uh, attached to music, even though we've lost the musical notes that are attached to it. Um, Some of this is history. Some of this is not history. Some of it is sort of folktale. Some of this looks like instruction manual. Like, like it's, a, it's a bunch of different genres written by several dozen people over the course of several hundred years. Um, even with the Gospels themselves that are written in a relatively short period of time by only three or four people, um, even there you see great, great distinction between the, the short, pithy, at times kind of um, clunky or ungrammatical language of the Gospel of St. Mark and the very elevated poetic language of the Gospel of St. John. These are not the same kind of documents. And yet, they're, they're both really God's word and man's word. And this should give us great hope, because we all find ourselves as mere human beings, but it means God really can work in and through us, because he has through the authors of the sacred text. That means that when I, as a preacher, am going to sit down and try and say something meaningful about what God has done here, what God has spoken through the prophet, what God has spoken through the apostle, what God has spoken through the evangelist, I need to be attentive both to the human sense of the scriptures, the peculiarities of language and grammar and history, the context in which the thing was originally written, the what we can presume about the author's original intention, all that kind of thing, and at the same time, attentive to the overall arc of the story in the scriptures, where this book, where this story, where this pericope sits in the overall uh, sense of the scriptures, and especially where it points in the life of Jesus, and where that comes alive in the life of the church, especially in the liturgical year that we celebrate. It's very interesting, your your eloquent description. And, and call my attention, for instance, the, the, the fourth gospel, you know? It's not similar, Mark to John, John to Matthew, John, Matthew to John, to uh, and vice versa. So here we have a particular language and description, but at the same time, it's the same word of God. There are a, so the, the, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
are are called synoptic, which sounds like a, a fancy word, but but if you listen here for a sec, it means optic, optic like optical. So okay. so they're called synoptic because they look alike. So the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all basically straight narratives. Now they begin at different places, right? Matthew begins basically with the story of Jesus's birth. Luke really begins with the story of John the Baptist's birth. Mark is not interested with anybody as a child. He begins at the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. St. John is very, very different. He starts with a poem that seems to come out of nowhere, and it's taking place before the creation of the world. So, 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 so his is a very different kind of a document. Um, the, the, the four Gospels, however, work together to present a sort of cohesive or coherent account of the church's experience of Jesus. Wow. This is what the apostles and their first followers experienced in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what the people who saw Jesus after he came back from the dead thought about him and understood of his life once it was done. And so a lot is often made of the fact that the Gospels were not written until uh, a few decades after uh, the, the events took place. But this is not so very different. Uh, somebody writes a biography today about Winston Churchill. It doesn't mean that it's not true. It actually means he's probably got access to more of the guy's life than he did when he was alive. Um, and, and, and the more we come to understand about how reliable human memory is and stuff, you know, my own memories of my childhood are not nearly as reliable as somebody else's Absolutely. memory of my childhood, right? And so... So, so, so the Gospels are reliable historical accounts of what happened in the life of Jesus, but they're not biography in the sense that we would write a biography today because they're, they're trying to tell you a different kind of a story. And the, and the fundamental difference is you have a biography of Lincoln or Churchill or Washington today. Nobody writing those expects you or wants you to have a personal relationship with Lincoln or Washington or Churchill. But everybody who wrote a gospel wants you to have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the whole point of the book. And so if, so, so if the preacher can see that and then reflect on his own personal experience of Jesus, uh-huh. now he's got a platform from which to break open the word and show what God's trying to tell us today. Iowa Catholic Radio, be not afraid. Thank you to our business partner, Big Red Q Quick Print. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com BigRedQ-DesMoines.com Support for programming comes from Golden Rule Plumbing, Heating, Cooling, and Electrical, offering repairs, installations, and maintenance for the whole house, including heating and cooling systems and all things plumbing and electrical. Learn more at GoldenRulePHC.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by Ashworth Vision Clinic. Complete eye exams, contact lenses, glasses, glaucoma testing, and urgent eye issues. 515-440-4610. AshworthVision.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community since 1992. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you, Divine Treasures, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Welcome back to Be Not Afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. So we are in this uh, third, third Sunday of Ordinary Time, and, uh, and, and the Gospel of Mark 
chapter 1, verses 14 to 20, describe and a very interesting fulfillment word of God in the people of God as well. So, but before to, to read the gospel, what is the context from the gospel of Mark? What we expect in why, for instance, is one of the shortest gospel so, that we have. So, so, so Mark's gospel uh, is the shortest and is uh, typically regarded as, as the oldest, though there's a little bit of dispute around that. Um, uh, it, it, the, the, the tradition is going to say that the gospel of Mark is really derived from the preaching of St. Peter. So, okay. so, so, so John Mark, who's the author of the gospel of Mark, is, is a disciple of St. Paul who winds up leaving Paul and then going and sort of working with St. Peter. And, um, and, and Eusebius and the other church fathers say that, that, that Mark wrote his gospel by basically collecting Peter's sermons. And there are good reasons to think that because of the role that Peter plays in the gospel of, of, of St. Mark. The gospel of St. Luke occupies the same kind of role, but relative to St. Paul, mm-hmm. because Luke stays with Paul for all of his journeys, maybe up until the very end. And so, and so St. Luke's gospel is really a reflection of the kind of more refined, um, studied uh, uh, preaching of St. Paul, who was a better orator than St. Peter was. Um, the, the gospel of St. Matthew, uh, the, the tradition would hold, is written by Matthew, who's like in the gospel. So he's, he, he was actually one of them. Um, and, and then the gospel of St. John, there's a lot of dispute over which John wrote it, but is clearly influenced at least by the Apostle St. John, who winds up ultimately taking the Blessed Mother uh, and taking care of her in Ephesus. The reason it's important for this passage, though, is because uh, as, as we hear the call of Simon and Andrew, we hear this from the perspective of the person who traveled with Simon for most of his adult life, and so heard this story, presumably, from Simon Peter himself. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me and I will make you fishers of men. Then they abandoned their nets and followed him. He walked alone. A little farther, and so James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, they too were in a boat mending their nets. Then he called them, so they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with hired men, and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, so what we have here is the first real call story in the Gospels. This is the story of Jesus calling someone, and this is very important uh, in as much as the Word of God is always, or ought to be always, integrally related to our sense of vocation. Um, uh, later this week, we'll celebrate the Feast of St. Anthony the Abbot, the, the first great monastic in the history of the Church. And, and his story sets up a, a paradigm that's followed in the lives of not every saint, but an awful, awful, awful lot of them which is there's stuff going on in his life. He can't really decide what to do with himself. He goes to church and he hears the gospel. And in this case, he hears the gospel. If you would be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And he realizes this is what he has to do. So he goes home, he divests himself of his inheritance and he goes into the desert and becomes a monk. 
I know that for many of us uh, who are priests, many of our, 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 our brother deacons, certainly lots of religious, it was a particular scripture passage that moved us in a particular moment, or maybe a homily given on that particular scripture passage that moved us in a particular moment and caused us, caused us to do something. I know a lot of uh, couples we might not meet in the context of the word of God, but like when I'm trying to decide whether or not this is the one I want to marry, it's often praying over the scripture that helps me figure out whether, whether, whether this is or isn't. And whether that happens in the, the early courtship phases or not, certainly when we're preparing a couple for holy matrimony, as we probe the scriptures ourselves and preparing for the marriage, uh, the marriage right itself, hopefully the word is coming alive and saying, this is really what I want for us and for our family together in the future. Right. And so, so I think looking at the word of God, especially as a, as a means for identifying vocation, as, as the means by which God calls us, which is precisely what we see happening in this passage, as he, Jesus, the word of God made flesh, passed by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they abandoned their nets and followed him. So, so, so Jesus, the word is the one who calls, you know, uh, th- this is reflective even in the rite of holy baptism. When we baptize little ones, where do we start? We start at the door of the church. We greet the families at the door of the church. Why? Because baptism is the door. Then, then after having greeted them and signed them with the sign of the cross, where do we bring them into the nave, the part of the church where the people sit to listen, to be receptive to the word of God. Why? Because baptism is the sacrament of conversion and faith comes by hearing. So we put them in a place, a posture, a situation in which to hear God's word so that they can be converted. And their own sense of inner conversion is then what, what causes them to present their children for holy baptism. And so, 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 so friends, if I could offer any word of advice as you prepare for, for this Word of God Sunday, um, that Bible that may be gathering dust on your, uh, on your mantelpiece, take it down and read it. Now, it is important to read the Bible with the church, Sometimes there's a tendency, especially those of us that have been deeply influenced by our Protestant friends, to treat the Bible almost like it's magic. Because it's inspired by the Word of God, I can kind of play Bible roulette and just flip a page and and suddenly a word's going to jump out at me or something. That's a very dangerous thing to do. That's, um, it's, it's ultimately superstitious and, and, and can become blasphemous very easily, right? That, that, that's not the move. But probe the Scriptures, have faith in the Scriptures, and read them with the church so that together we can discern what God is asking us to do as individuals and as a community. Especially in this current time that we are speaking out about God present versus that evil present in the world. Approaching our ending program, Father, could you please send us with your blessing? Sure. May the passion of the Lord Jesus, who is the living word of God, St. Mary, the Blessed Virgin, St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse, and all the saints, grant that whatever good you do, or suffering you endure, heal you all your sins, help you grow in holiness, and bring you to everlasting life. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Be not afraid, Iowa Catholic Radio. Be not afraid. Jesus is on the way to encounter you. Go forward and be not afraid. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid comes from Ball Team, your builder of all faith-based construction needs. Learn more at buildwithball.com.